Our scripture today is from the book of Isaiah, verse, chapter 1, verse 1, and verses 10 through 20. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah. Hear the words of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bring offerings, bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling, calling of convocation, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the offering, plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, dear. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the youngest. Thank you for the oldest. Thank you, dear God, for your grace, your love, and your mercy. Lord, as we have thought about this week's scripture and wrestle with it and thought about it and how that it pertains to our lives, help us, O oh God, to be honest with ourselves about our worship of you. Open our hearts and minds in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We welcome you to the first of a three-week series, Joy, the Flip Side of Justice. That doesn't sound right, does it? But, but it is. We'll be using the, the Old Testament, Isaiah. A common theme in our scriptures for the next three weeks is, is justice. We don't often think that joy and justice go together, but yet if you look for joy in these passages, we'll find it. Joy is found when we, as a people of God, Put our faith into action. Listen to what I'm saying. Our faith into action by pursuing justice and caring for the oppressed. That's what these folks that you read about all week long were not doing in Isaiah's time. They weren't taking care of the folks that were on the fringes. They weren't taking care of people who were not just like them. They were simply playing church. And you'll see, as you've already uh, seen, that, that, that it makes God sick. 
In the passage from Isaiah, Barbara read to us, we hear the prophet rebuking us for forgetting to do justice uh, in our actions while we are giving praise to God. He says that doesn't mesh. That doesn't add up. That won't work. We can't come in here and praise God and act like we're worshiping and everything if we're not taking care of the folks outside, in other words. It's not that God doesn't want our praise and our offerings. Hey, I'm just telling you what Scripture says. Uh, Y'all get your heads up. Uh, I'm, I'm just telling you what Scripture says. It's not that God doesn't want our praise and our offerings and worship. But God wants our worship while we also practice justice. Joy is promised. When we cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, there is joy when we as a people of God are willing to be obedient. There's where the rubber meets the road, the obedient part. When we as God's people are willing to be obedient to God's teaching. We talk all the time about how that we believe in, in scriptures. And it's the inspired Word of God and everything until we get to a passage of Scripture like last week or this week. And then we say, well, I don't know, Tom. You know, I don't, you know. Well, we have to deal with that. And so we, we look at Psalm 50, and it echoes the prophet's words in Isaiah. Sacrifice in the context of worship gives honor to God. And salvation comes to those who go the right way. That's Psalm 50, verse 23. While it's not on our list of readings for this Sunday, the theme in Isaiah echoes a familiar verse that you all know, Micah 6, 8. And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Well, how are our lives changed? And how are other people's lives changed? Because of the choices we make. The scriptures make it clear that we're the ones that choose to obey or to rebel. In a real sense, our actions define whether or not, whether or not we find joy or encounter brokenness because of the choices that, that we make. That's on us. I heard again this week, as we were talking about uh, worship and, and the best way with these three services in Sunday school and wiggle worship and, and, and buildings and, and everything, how best to do it. And everything was done with integrity and, and honesty, and, and I was so happy. But, but I have to ask myself, where do we develop the kinds of expectations about our worship service? I mean... I mean, if, if we're getting close to an hour, people are beginning to panic. Y'all know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I, I, I mean we, we do. We, we start to panic. Uh, Roman Catholics, uh, you know, about a 50-minute mass, uh, you know. Uh, the Pentecostals, uh, they're, they're still going to be going after we have finished uh, lunch today. But we Methodists... If it's, if it's getting, you know, we got a clock right there. And, and if it's getting close to that, we begin to squirm uh, around a little bit. Or what was it, uh, the advent of, of hour-long TV 
You know, I mean, we watch a show, it's supposed to be an hour long, it's about 43 minutes, but it takes up an hour. Or, or was it the, the eight-hour work day in increments of hours? We, and we all look at our cell phones and our watches and we see how we're progressing or processing maybe would, would be a better word. You know, but there are places in the world where time is measured in a different way. Daylight and starlight, sunrise, sunset, heat of the day, cool of the day. In places like this, Christian worship services, they may last for several hours. There's no clock on the wall telling anyone to stop singing or preaching or praying. The people's worship begins when all the people are present and it draws to a close when the Holy Spirit says, that's enough. That's enough. We finished with the rites and the prayers and the preaching and the teaching. That's enough. Again, friends, there's where the rubber meets the road for us. What do we expect out of worship? What do you expect out of worship? Do we expect, expect to experience a sense of connection with the Almighty? Are we expecting to gain wisdom for living? Or maybe it's to feel better about ourselves. What do you expect out of worship? I have said my entire life after getting over myself early on that worship's not about me. And how many times have I said that? And worship's not about you. Worship's about God. So the better question would be this. What does God expect of us when we gather to worship? What's God expecting out of us when we gather to worship? What does God desire of us when it comes to worship? His chosen people, and they are His chosen people. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. Because during the week, they were not taking care. I told you I'd get louder than she can of taking care of those folks who are marginalized, who are on the very edges that society says, you're not worth it. Because people weren't taking care of those folks. Our reading today from Isaiah offers some rather blunt statements regarding what God will not tolerate. And make no mistake about it. That's what this is talking about. What God will not tolerate when it comes to worship. This text that's ascribed to Isaiah doesn't begin with a sweet little story about his birth or childhood or called into the ordained ministry. The opening oracle appears to be a summary of Isaiah's work for some 40 years. This word of the Lord in chapter 1 is particularly hard on Jerusalem, the center of Judah's worship life. His words take close aim at the, the system of Sacrifice, uh, the sacrifices that were maintained in the Jerusalem temple. That, that it was the center of their worship, the sacrificial system. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat or of fed beast. I do not delight in the blood 
of bulls or of lambs or of goats, Isaiah 1.11. By the middle of the 8th century B.C., when Isaiah began his prophetic work, the sacrificial system had been around for hundreds of years. We read about these offerings in the book of Leviticus. Offerings of grain and turtle doves and pigeons and lambs and goats and bulls. They all serve specific purposes. Some like the grain offering, a witness for the Lord's gracious provision for the people. Other offerings express gratitude and well-being. While others still served to remove the stain of people's sins from the Lord's sight. Aaron and his descendants were responsible for fulfilling these duties for the sake of his people. These practices were meant to keep the righteousness and holiness of the Lord in the forefront of the people's minds and hearts. God was to be first. God's first. Not only here in worship, but in everything we do. God is first. And these sacrifices reminded the people of that. Keep God first. They were established to remind the folks of that. To remind the people of God's provision and God's faithfulness. They were intended to remind the people of the Lord's passion and justice. And how he cares for the suffering. These sacrifices were meant to restore to community when people had sinned against one another, and to reconcile folks back to God when they forgot God's purposes in favor of their own. That's my way. God, I've got this. I'll handle it. So why did the Lord no longer take delight in these prescribed offerings of bulls, lambs, and goats? By the time Isaiah was called to serve as God's mouthpiece, the priest's work of oversight in the sacrificial process had become corrupt and greedy. The priest took advantage of those who brought offerings. They raced through prayers, festivals, and new moons so that they could get on more to the important things. I, you know, let's get out of here. We got to get gone. It's a ball game at 12. Let's get through this. Make sure your prayer's not too long. Make sure your sermon's not too long. Make sure we dot every I and cross every T. That's what they were done. It was a get her done so they could check it off. And there are many churches today that are that way. The legalist churches today are still that way. Check it off. I've been to church. I tithed. I went to Sunday school. I even said a prayer for the preacher. I'm not going to tell you what kind it was, but I prayed for him. <laughs> Check. When you come to appear before me, who asked this form? This, I'm sorry, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bring offerings. That's futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot endure. Solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them, Isaiah 1, 12 through 14. By Isaiah's time, the worship life of Judah had disintegrated into a series of rites. To appease a God 
that the people no longer seemed to know. Simply appeasing a God that the people seemingly didn't have a clue who was. They had ceased to respect God's core values of justice and mercy, especially toward those who were at risk in society. Their many worship service, they were so far from what God intended that God was sickened by it all. Psalm 22.3 declares that God is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Worship that is devoid of devotion to God and commitment to God's way is nothing more than a burden. When you stretch out your hands, God says, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil from your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. God is so appalled by the actions of his people, the people that God chose, that when they raise their hands in prayer to him, God will not respond. God won't even listen. Why? Because his people have hands that's bloodied by injustice and greed. Isaiah's words shed some light on the nature of their guilt. Their guilt lies in their relationships, the same as ours. Especially with those on the fringes of society. It has been said that the quality of a society is measured by the treatment of the helpless and the poor. Here, orphans and widows are words for the, the most poor and those who are most dependent in Judah's society. You see, Judah didn't fare too well when judged by that standard. They had bloodied their hands. Worshippers had bloodied their hands by their tolerance and their participation in oppression. Their indifference, that's when it's dangerous. When we get to where we're indifferent, you're, you're on really dangerous ground. Their indifference toward those who are orphaned angers God. They didn't care. One way or the other. That's the indifference. Their failure to care for widows and their distress reveals just how self-absorbed and far from God that his people truly were. Isaiah isn't the only prophet who denounces this downward spiral, this departure from the Lord's gracious intent. Amos preaches of justice being an identifying mark of God's people. And he mourns its absence in the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom is called Israel. Hosea preached a similar message, appealing to his listeners to live in love and to walk with God. 
over and over and over we see it. You see, when it comes to worship, God expects us, God expects people to be transformed. God expects the love and trust that we confess. And we do that. Apostles' Creed, the hymns that we sing, the Lord's Prayer. God expects the love and trust that we confess to really change the way we live. God expects people to be shaped by God's love so that we can love one another more and more and more. God expects that His ways of compassion and justice will be reflected in the people who have been created in God's image and delivered from slavery to sin and death. God expects that people will become more deeply aware of God's generosity to him. Hasn't God been generous to us? Hasn't God been generous to us, to this local congregation, to our town? Absolutely. Expects, God expects that, that we'll be generous and gracious to one another. Then as today, God expects his people to love him and to reflect his love in our relationships with other people. God is worshipped when God's people live in such a way that, God, that God's values shine through our words and our deeds. Isaiah 117, verse 17. Identifies some of the characteristics in the way of life and worship that God expects. People who truly worship God will seek justice for all people. People who have been shaped by God's deliverance will commit themselves to rescue the oppressed. People whose lives have been defined by God's generosity will protect the orphan and, and care for those who have been widowed. In short, People who live in a, a loving and worshipful relationship with God will do as God does. Our hearts will beat in the time, in time with God's heart. Our priorities as individuals, as households, as congregations, and as churches will be oriented to whomever it is around us who are orphans and widows, those who are living on the edge. We have homeless here in Hebrew. We don't have much of a race problem with ethnic minorities. But we have a ton of families that are in crisis. That's the reason why what Casey Goddard said to you while ago is so very, very important. In this project, Crosswell, we have people that don't know their right hand from the left. We have kids. While they may have a mom or a dad, we have a single dad here in church that brings his boys. He was here this morning, Rob. But, and I'm awful bad to say just women, but, but men too that we need to be reaching out to. 
that we need to include. It's then when we do that that we can worship God according to the Scriptures. Not according to what I say, according to what God says. Instead, what God often finds in our congregations are people who are caught up in wars over the, the words and music of our worship life. And indifferent, those same people are indifferent to the conflicts at rage in our society. I don't care how you worship. I really don't. I figure one's as good as any if you're worshiping God. But I know one thing. All I have to do is look at my life and say, am I taking care of the marginalized those that society says are not worthy to recognize how much I'm worshiping God. You know why I say that? Because the scripture says that. God finds people complaining about worship that takes more time than they're willing to give and who are oblivious to those who wonder if God has any time for them. God finds beautiful sanctuaries and parlors and people gathered in them who are void of compassion for all who are broken outside of our doors. And yet, even with that, in, in love and compassion, God invites us away from all that glitters and distracts us from real worship. Come now, God says, let us argue it out. You ever argue with God? I have. Guess who won? Every time. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient. See, that's it. Willing and obedient. You shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. In my opinion, an imagery that prefigures our baptism into the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the guilt that bloodies our hands is washed away. We're reconciled to God. We're invited into God's presence and gifted with God's provision. Like the Israelites before us, friends, we're offered a choice of life or death, of transforming worship or self-absorbed ignorance. What did you come to worship today expecting? Did you expect to see friends? Did you expect to receive that peace that passes all understanding? Did you expect to go home with one or two of life's questions? answered or did you expect or did you expect to be loved forgiven and refitted by the Lord God for the sake of the world do you think that you might have time for that today in Jesus name amen